October 9th meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. In compliance with Executive Memo EX1063, we are broadcasting on 91.3 FM CJTR. So let's start with um, attendance. Okay. Okay, we've got um, Call Me Shame. Call Me Shame. Call Me Shame, maybe? <laughs> yes. Is, is Call Me there Shame? There is no here? Call Me Shame. Call me shame here. No. Oh, well, are you you're not calling me shame? No, I'm not calling me shame. Okay. I could show you my ID. You um, are. Do I, I? I showed it to security on the way in. I'm Paul Duchesne. Security let you in? Uh, well, there was a guy and he asked for some money, and so I assumed. That's so. You just yes, that guy. Yeah, don't don't give him money. Well, you can give him money, but don't give him your ID. I got fooled before. Okay. I won't do that. Yeah, that's not security. Security actually is, uh, I found out they have instructions not to let us in. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure why. <coughs> oh. I think I think we do good work here. We do. So Just... you're not, but anyway, you're not calm. You, you're, um, I, I've seen you here before. Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. I got a haircut. Actually, I cut my own hair. Oh, you did? I did, oh, yeah. Okay, that's yeah, yeah. You, you're Paul. I'm Paul. Okay, yeah. I get it. Okay, yeah. all right. So we have Paul DeShane filling in for Colm. And we have Cabrin Morphine. Cabrin Morphine. No, nobody's... I don't hear anybody. I, th yeah. I think I misspelled my own name, Aiden Morgan. Yeah, you do that a lot. I, it's, I'm very busy. Yeah. And, you know, your, my vision is, is pretty yeah. bad these days. Okay, so we, we don't have quorum. We don't. No. So nothing we decide is binding. But uh, we do. We, we do. We will do our best. We do, we'll do our best. Yeah. So let's see. What's so? So what's so? Can we have a motion to adopt the agenda? Uh, I will second the motion, second or I'll the make motion. the motion. I guess somebody else will have. I will, you can second. I will third the. No, you can't do that. You can, I will second okay. the motion. Okay. Motion passed. But you know, not binding. But whatever. So so what's what's what is on our agenda for today, uh, Paul? Um, we have a uh, we have a guest tonight. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Um, so, in keeping with uh, you know the the mandate of our office to discuss um, improvement with uh, improvement vectors in our city, uh, we have a Dr. Sean Tucker in studio to, uh, in the basement here tonight to discuss. Um, the co-op refinery site and uh, some ideas about uh, improving uh, refinery stuff um, with us. Uh, Sean, hi. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Paul and Aiden. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're sorry about the sort of like Spartan accommodations here, but... Uh, it, it's a nice basement. Thank you. Did you bring your own snacks? We don't have budget for snacks. No, I ate before I came and I didn't think of you. That's wise. Okay, we're but we are. If you if you come back again, just we are very hungry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you hear any strange noises, it's just my stomach. <laughs> um. So yeah, you wanted to uh, you wanted to come in and do a presentation to our office about the co-op refinery, and about uh, specifically, you're an expert in occupational health and safety. Okay. So, yeah, I, I teach occupational health and safety classes in the School of Business at the U of R and conduct research in that area on um, uh, safety culture in organizations and the role that um, 
top managers and supervisors play in creating a safe workplace. And um, so since about 2013-14, I've been looking at the uh, co-op refinery, and uh, since they they pled guilty to uh, a charge in May of this year, I've been uh, uh, taking a deeper dive into um, a lot of different evidence, uh, court documents, victim impact statements, uh, uh, Federated Co-op, uh, the parent company, some of their documents that are available online, and trying to get a sense of the... Uh, scope of the problem there and some of the underlying causes. Right. And um, so you, you're uh, specifically, you're, uh, you're going to be doing a talk soon about on this subject at the University of Regina. Yes, yes. And so this is the uh, third and final uh, talk in a series that examined, um, that examines uh, the safety in the oil industry in uh, Saskatchewan. So we started with uh, Dr. Emily Eaton did a talk on uh, oil extraction, and then Simon Enoch did a talk just uh, yesterday, in fact, on oil transportation. And my talk will be next week, Wednesday at uh, 1 p.m. at the U of R in the Education Building in Room 514. Right. Now, um, now, one thing I've noticed about oil, Sean, is that it's it's very very slippery. Uh, so I'm going to assume that what you'll be talking about is the fact that people slip and slide all over the place because of this oil. Not exactly, um, you know. Maybe we should talk more about the the presentation, what it will cover. And okay. Could, yeah. I just I just thought, but you know, but don't continue. continue. Before we get on to that, um, I don't typically get out of the city hall building very often. Um, so, could you sort of give us an idea of what this co-op refinery is and like where it's located and kind of a sense of the sort of history of the co-op refinery in Regina. Sure, uh, sure, absolutely. Um, so the refinery was um, started out in um, 1935. Um, the um, The history is very important today. Uh, often in the the the, the, the refinery uh, uses the history as a touchstone to its its uh, historic values of cooperation and working together and how. This is a kind of a David and Goliath sort of situation where um, farmers banded together and uh, developed their own oil refinery with pooling their own money together. And over time, the refinery has grown with the city of Regina. And in fact, when it was first started, you can see all you see is prairie around it. And now there's uplands and uh, other uh, developments up close to it. So it's its 80th anniversary this year. Um, and it has grown over time. Um, between 1998 and 2014, its refining capacity has grown by 140%. So it's grown quite significantly. Um, before then, in 1985, the upgrader was um, constructed on site, and that was a big event in the city. Um, so each time they've had a major expansion, it's it's been a, a big deal in the city and. You know, the city has, uh, city of Regina has uh, uh, certainly celebrated uh, the the expansion and the efforts and the contribution um, to to the city. The most recent expansion, which opened up in 2012 13, uh, cost 2.7 billion dollars, um, and it's touted as the largest project ever in Regina. It was originally supposed to cost 
nine billion. Um, so it was eight hundred million over budget, all financed by Federated Co-op. And so today at the refinery, they employ one thousand twenty uh, workers there, plus some contractors, and uh, generally well-paying jobs at the refinery. And you you were saying before the show that. Um Sort of the history of the refinery is very intertwined with the history of Saskatchewan, and uh, that it's been it's been promoted as this uh, you know it's the people's refinery. It's the only co- cooperatively owned refinery in the world, and uh, its importance goes beyond just merely you know a jobs engine. It's a it's, it's kind of part of the mythology of the province. It is, and you, you know each time they've had these expansions, they'll have some community event, and they've had some and. I believe it's in the 60s where they had tens of thousands of people come out. It's the largest public gathering in the city's history. There's pictures with Tommy Douglas, our former premier, on stage celebrating the refinery. So it's it's intertwined with the, the history of the city. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you'd, you'd argue that it's kind of an important part of the city. Yeah, I mean, well-paying jobs, lots yeah. of spin-off economic activity. Um, you know, there's has capacity for uh, 140,000 uh, barrels of oil production. It it, it capacity for um, shipping by rail a billion liters of uh, refi- uh, fuel. As yeah. uh, as far that fuel can go as far west as Vancouver Island to service the co-op retailing system there, and as far east as northern Ontario. So um, it's a good thing, then, that nothing ever goes wrong there. Well... Sixth largest refinery in the country. Yeah, it's... Except for people sliding around. Yeah, well, there's the slipping risk. Yes, I mean, that is... I I don't want to harp on this, but... Uh, oil, I've I've seen it before. It is so. It is a very viscous, slippery fluid. Yeah, and it's great to cook with. Yes, apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. So they have had, they have had issues at the refinery. Some pretty significant issues um, since 2011, <coughs> and um, they had uh, they've had one one fatality that we know of uh, in um, 2014. 52 injured workers in the um, explosion on October 6th, 2011. Um, Another explosion on Christmas Eve, uh, December uh, 2013. Three fires, three leaks. So some oil, slippery oil, out sprayed on cars uh, 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 outside the refinery. The um, total... Cost that's been reported of these incidents is over 185 million. I suspect it's more. They've had three legal cases. Uh, one they settled uh, for um, uh, in in May, uh, 280 thousand dollar total fine, including the victim surcharge. The scaffolding company that was affected by the 2011 explosion is suing the refinery for 2.9 million. Uh, injured workers from the 2011 explosion are appealing through the W Workers' Compensation Board in Saskatchewan to sue the refinery for negligence. And more recently, um, the Regina uh, Police Service, their major crimes unit, uh, had a review of the uh, the 2011 explosion at the request of uh, a lawyer for the uh, victims of that 2011 explosion. So they've had a lot of problems. I did a search, compared them to other refineries. We've got about 15 in Canada. And in the last 10 years, Co-op is the only one that's had two explosions. Um, there's 
four other refineries that have had one explosion each. Yeah, and that 2013 one, that was really loud. Like, we heard that in the basement here. Yeah, it, even in the basement. Even, even in the down basement. here. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, through um, the boiler and everything. Yeah, because that, that was heard for up to 20 kilometers away from the site. And, um, you know, my understanding is they had a reduced staff, it being the holidays. And so um, it, the area, too, was potentially high traffic. And uh, fortunately, nobody was... Uh, was injured, at least it's been reported. Um, what's interesting about the 2011 explosion is that um, it was the third serious event. Uh, you had the 2011 explosion, then you had a fire in February 2013, and then you've got the the Christmas Eve one. And the investigation, independent investigation that looked into that 2011-13 explosion found that the cause of the explosion it actually, it, the, the situation that happened before in 2008. So this is the 2011 explosion? Uh, the 2013 explosion, oh, okay, the investigative sorry. report into it, it noted a similar incident that didn't result in an explosion that occurred in 2008, and it, it, it notes explicitly that no corrective action was taken. Hmm. So, and it was a corroded pipe in both these cases in 2008 and 2013? Well, the... Um, 2011 is a corroded pipe. Um, the probably not have time to get into all the legal arguments there. The crown <laughs> essentially argued that uh, you know you replaced a section of this pipe because it was too thin, and your monitors up further up the pipe where it actually ruptured um, said that it the thickness hadn't changed for several years, but your visual uh, evidence suggested that it that it had, and you should have looked at it. And the uh, defense said uh, no. Um, it couldn't have been predicted. They had their own report done. And in 2013, it was a frozen section of a, of a, a pipe that, uh, that froze. But again, this happened in 08 before, totally preventable incident, and it, it happened. And it was quite a blast. It took a long time for the um, inve- investigators to be able to go on the scene because there's asbestos on site that was sort of sprayed everywhere. So it, it took a while to get to the bottom of it. Right. Um. So, and ironically, I guess it's irony, uh, just before the 2013 explosion, city council upstairs had just approved the, um, they had just approved the concept plan for the Somerset neighborhood, which was very controversial because it was going to be, it's, it's a neighborhood that's being built, you know, within a kilometer of the, uh, of the refinery site. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and, and there was Voda, you know, it, it just, it was. I, I don't think a very good decision whatsoever. Um, I mean, the, the, well, the I mean, arguments in favor of it were that Uplands is there. So what? But when Uplands was built, right? So Uplands, six, the neighborhood is closer to the refinery than the new Somerset would be. Yeah. 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 I don't oh. think that's a, a a great argument. And the refinery, when Uplands was built, was much much smaller. I mean, it's it's expanded many folds since then. Yeah. And. Uh, um, they they also argued that you know after the incident in 2011 they had all these reassurances from the uh, from the refinery that you know a major incident that's you know they're they're they've got their finger now on this that's not going to happen again and yeah. then four days later or eight days later I guess it was the explosion happens 
Yeah, well, they, they made a lot of commitments, public commitments after, before and after the 2011 explosion that said, you know, essentially nothing is more important than safety. And um, the independent investigation reports don't support that kind of uh, statement. Um, they said after the 2011 explosion that um, they would take, quote, a deep dive and, and look at all their processes and inspect pipes. And, and yet we have some similar issues noted in the 2013 investigation report about not taking corrective action, about corrosion on pipes, about the wrong sizing of pipes, so similar issues um, to 2011. Um, Do you you think that this is a result of them having so much legacy um, uh, refining infrastructure that, you know, dates back to, you know, decades ago? Well, it's, it's, uh, in, in doing the research, I've, I've, I think there's a few factors at play here. I think you've identified one is old infrastructure. The pipe that originally was installed in, in that, that was the center of the, the, the 2011 explosion was installed in 1961. The refinery argues that it, the wrong size pipe was installed. Um, but yes, it's old. Um, but it was it was installed in 1961. 1961, so, yeah. yeah. And they had changed processes a, f- a f- couple of years before the 2011 explosion that led to an increase in the corrosion of the pipes, and they replaced a section. And they, the crown argues that they knew that this was happening. They had visual evidence that there was corrosion occurring, and they should have gone up the pipe and looked. And if they had, if they would have found this thinner pipe. That's the crown's argument. It hasn't been tested in court, though. No, because they pled on the one charge, failure to supervise. So the co-op's uh, interpretation of that in their writing of history will be that we failed to supervise the contractor in 1961. They, quote, regrettably, unfortunately, picked up the wrong piece of pipe. And the Crown argues, no, you should have been monitoring failure to supervise uh, today. And if you read the victim impact statements, I invite anybody, anyone in the public that's listening to the show right now, um, to uh, to look at the court transcript and and read some of the victim impact statements. The um, the commitment to safety um, at the time was was frightening. I mean, there, there was so many problems. There were alarms going off quite frequently. Um, there were alarms disconnected. They had rags stuffed in them. Issues were concerns were brought up at um, safety meetings. They alleged the 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 victims alleged put in writing. And the response from some of the co-op personnel was, uh, if you don't like the safety here, you can pick up your tools and go home. Right. And these are good-paying jobs. And some people had come from, you know, other provinces here and, you know, kind of leaving the situation wasn't a real option for them. Right. What about uh, things like training of, of, the, of employees on the ground? Did that, is, did that uh, turn out to be a factor in, uh, in what happened? Yeah, so one of the the victim impact statements is from a foreman who uh, had 20 years experience and he had said, you know, I, he had never he hadn't received such little training before in a in a refinery. And he was asking questions of the management and the younger refinery workers were were thanking him for it because they were afraid to speak up and ask. So, I mean, I think some of the other things that have going on and contribute to this weak safety culture. I think they had systemic problems there. I think it's it's clear from the evidence that to some point leading up 2011, and hopefully they've changed now. I, I don't know for sure. I think they obviously have made, made some changes to the extent and the depth that is needed. I don't know. But um, 
when they brought on the uh, upgrader in the 80s, they had a lot of safety issues there. The upgrader had a blast. There was an explosion there, uh, a long list of issues there. And so it, when they have these major periods of change, it seemed to have safety problems, inadequate monitoring, inadequate and uneven implementation of their own process has been noted in these third-party reports. Um, there seems to be a lack of learning about past near misses and incidents, they don't haven't seemed to learn from these incidents. Hopefully they have now. There's a real gap between the words of the refinery and federated co-op's top leaders, what they're saying, and the experience on the front lines. Um, and post-2011, there seems to be, uh, safety seems to be a, a bit of a public relations exercise for the refinery and federated co-op. Um, other factors, potentially too much focus on financial performance. We know that the large uh, expansion uh, came in $800 million over budget. And so what were the discussions at Federated Co-op and at the refinery uh, when that kind of came to their attention that we're going to be going way over? Wh where was the attention? Was it on getting more product through the old infrastructure and, and getting as much as you could out of that? Or was it on are their stated number one priority, which is safety. Um, have you found it's easy to get information out of the uh, refinery, out of uh, the co-op refinery, uh, to answer some of those questions that, that you have, those those open questions? So for my research um, uh, project, I, I invited a, a wide range of uh, people and groups, and, and with research ethics, it's voluntary participation. So I can't say... Uh, who I invited and who accepted for an interview and who declined and the reasons that, that people may not participate. So I can't, can't really comment on that. What I can say is that my experience has been, before I formally started the research under research ethics, when I would get a call from, from uh, media, I, my practice is, is to prepare for the interview and call the f focal organization. And um, I had one call with the communications person at the refinery six months after the um, uh, Christmas Eve explosion. And I asked some questions, and I was told, well, it's the matters before the court. You can't answer those. And it's fine. I understand that. And I asked a question, so can you tell me what improvements you've made, like specific improvements you've made since, because you've had all these incidents. And... The response was a red flag to me. It was, um, I don't understand the question. And to me, I, I mean, I, tell me something good so I can share it with the media. And that was a big red flag. And I, that's really one of one of the events that's really kind of said made me want to look more closer, deeper into the uh, into the organization. And I think media have had issues too. If you look at Jeff Leo. At the CBC, his his team has done a lot of excellent reporting on the problems there. And uh, reading those reports, it seems like they're stonewalled. And and I think the co-op should be proactive. I think one of the things they could do, just briefly, is that um, uh, invite the media to uh, the office space next to the refinery and um, take them through a presentation that shows them specifically what you've done, what you've learned, how much money you've invested in safety since these incidents occurred, how many new safety personnel you've hired, the new training that you're doing, um, what you've done with the incident reports and to problems you've had, these these sorts of things. A new level of openness. I think it, it's going to go, 
it's going to be a lot better for them in the long run if they if they take that approach versus sort of digging in. Um, so do you have any suggestions then just to sort of, uh, you know, sort of cap this all off? You've, you've told some pretty, like, sort of uh, worrisome things about the refinery. We know that people live close to the <coughs> refinery. Um, people in our community work there, and we want them to come home safely. Um, do you have, like, a – do you have a suggestion for how to go forward? How can we improve Regina – uh, and uh, so, and improve the safety at uh, the, the co-op refinery. Yeah. So one of the people I spoke to uh, in in the research was Perry. Uh, Perry's the vice president of the Steelworkers Local at the Come by Chance Refinery in Newfoundland. A great name for a refinery. It's yes. it's a great name. Also known as a North Atlantic refinery, but not as good a name. No. no. So Perry Perry told me about a community liaison group that they have that meets regularly, I believe it's monthly, with the management and with the union present, um, and they discuss issues. And um, I think, you know, given the cooperative values of, like, integrity and trust and all those things, I think this is uh, something that we could have in our community and um, give an opportunity for them to provide information about how things are going, management of change, all these things. So it would be something like the police board or the library board where some, uh, you know, maybe a counselor or two would sit on the board, some community members, the union, and then the refinery, and you could pepper them with questions and, you know, discuss, you know, well, I guess liaising, you've already said the words. So. That, that would be, I think that's a great structure to have for this, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I've I've taken copious notes on uh, on this interview. Uh, what I, from what I can tell, and I'm gonna I'm gonna write a report for city for the city to contemplate, is that they clearly need a lot uh, a lot of that grippy material for the floors. Those no stick pads, that, yeah. Yes, in the yes, shower. exactly. Yeah. I also seemed I I got the notion it didn't it sort of you you very heavily implied as well that this oil is flammable, so we want to look to that. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you need to speak to the volatility of the oil in whatever recommendations you make. Volatility needs to be addressed. All right. Right. Okay. okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, very much. guys. And again, yeah. your talk is uh, Wednesday, December second, at one p.m and 514 in the Education Building at the University of Regina. Right on. Thanks Good night. a lot. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Okay, so uh, I guess we'll move on now to the innovative revenue tool section of the uh, agenda. Yes, we we actually have, a, a I think, a really solid innovative revenue idea for oh, this yeah? time around. Uh, also, I want to say, uh, Sean, if you want to sit around for a few minutes, feel free, unless you have to run. I have to stop. <laughs> Uh, and uh, what we this time uh, last time we were uh, we were talking to the Citizen Social Club. Uh, they mentioned that the the hall where uh, where they have the, the meetings, Henry Baker Hall, Henry Baker Hall. Thank in you very hall, much. Yeah. Uh, is uh, is often uh, empty. It's quite quite often largely empty. Uh, I, I conducted a study. I did a, little, I did a fact finding mission, and it turns out that we could get more people in there. But people are uh, dangerous and unpredictable. Oh, true. And they often come away with their own opinions. We don't want uh, that. Sometimes they speak out loud, which is just ridiculous. So I think instead of that, we can convert the unused space into condos. 
That's brilliant. I think so. I think yeah, that's a really innovative use of the uh, the condo conversion policy. I think we just need to run some plumbing in there. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, well, or, well, we don't have to. I mean, we can. It can be sort of rustic condos. That's brilliant. Eco condos. I, I like it because it means that uh, on days when council seems to be going long, and you know, it's good, like getting late at night, especially with the ones that get past like ten or eleven o'clock, just, the neighbors in the condos in Henry Baker Hall can lodge a noise complaint. And that'll shut everything down. Perfect. I think. I think. I think this is the way to go. Yeah. All and, right. And what would it be called? Uh, it would be the Henry Baker Rustic Eco Condo okay. Conversion Project. Very good. Yeah. 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 For for downtown living in a civic environment. Do you think you could share the Capital Point Demonstration Office maybe and put up a model there? That's not well, a I, bad idea. I, th- I think we could. Yeah. I think that'd be a great idea. I'm gonna get out the uh, I'm gonna get out the glue and the cardboard, like an annex. Like you could yeah, have an I'll, annex I'll make a little glued model. onto the side of Capital Point. Oh sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think actually, I mean, I think Capital Point might be made out of glue and cardboard by the time they're done. So yeah. so we should get a start. We should uh, we should just go and start building Capital <coughs> Point itself. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that revenue tool doesn't work, we've got a few more. All right. I think we're back. We're back. Those were some fantastic revenue tools. They were excellent revenue tools. Yeah, was, I'm. I'm always, as as I've said before, I'm always impressed by the the quality of the tools that uh, that the city presents and the 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 quantity of revenue that they will uh, provide. I know it's just. I mean, yeah. we don't we don't seem to see much of that revenue. Um, we'll Almost nice. none. Yeah, someday yeah. we don't even get. I don't think we've had toner for a photocopier for uh, I think six months. We have a photocopier. I've been using the mimeograph machine. For oh, the last six months. Yeah, that well, that, that's been the stand-in. Oh, yeah, okay. Without, yeah. yeah, I actually, I actually invite people down, and we just like sniff the mimeographing. It's it's surprising how many people will uh, come down just for like a nostalgic whiff of of mimeograph. I know, and usually they uh, we usually say please bring snacks or leave snacks. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that we have to like you know trick city employees into huffing in our basement <laughs> if we're going to get any food down here. Well, it keeps us fed, and it keeps the city happy. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're on to outstanding improvements? Yes. Uh, I, I can't help but notice I've been watching that uh, that new um, uh, internet news network. Uh, What's that one? Uh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I've got that one. I'm I'm a, I'm a little distressed. Uh, I was watching the, uh, the series Jessica Jones and mm-hmm. Daredevil uh, from Marvel, and... I'm worried because superheroes seem to be taking over uh, parts of New York City. It's staggering how uh, how much they're taking over. I know. Actually. There's, yeah. there's heroes, there's villains, and I'm thinking, I mean, if something comes to New York, it's not long before it shows up in Regina. Yeah. I mean, Regina and then maybe Thunder Bay, but really Regina. I yeah, that's, that's what we're worried, worried about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think we need to talk about uh, basically hero-proofing the city. Uh, introducing I think that's some a very bylaws. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on the hero-proofing front, uh, what do you have? Do you have any? Do you have any recommendations? I don't. I don't even think we've struck a subcommittee on superhero-proofing or well, supervillain-proofing. Well, I think first off we need to worry about uh, all entrances and exits because superheroes and villains, uh, the first thing they do is go for the doors. I've noticed that. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, our doors don't. Our doors won't be able to withstand a a, a, a lusty thrust from a, a superhero. It's true. Um, 
I, I don't I don't know about a lusty thrust, but it's they probably <laughs> if if that was the kind of thrust, I have a feeling that would be another problem. Uh, so I think we need to uh, we need to reinforce doors wherever we can. Uh, also uh, hinges. Um, also, uh, I think uh, walls and windows, and uh, I think noise as well. So I think we need to introduce like just a requirement that buildings have uh, soundproofing. Oh, soundproofing. How come? Uh, mostly because, well, uh, smashing walls out is pretty loud. Oh, yeah. And uh, holding and torturing villains and or heroes also gets uh, pretty loud. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I guess uh, you also have to, like, I, I was thinking that instead of just reinforcing, uh, one of the things that they already do with buildings, like uh, skyscrapers and tall buildings, like, say, the hill towers, for instance. For example. Um, they build them with some flexibility in the construction so that, you know, the wind just, you know, gently makes them sway and they can bounce back. So I think, uh, and that keeps the building from, like, crumbling and shattering. So right. perhaps if we build more elasticity into our buildings and think more of our city streets as the the ropes on a wrestling ring and the superheroes are the wrestlers and the building's job is to keep the action in the ring. I see what you're saying. So we could make them out of sort of uh rubber or elastic. Like rubber. Rubbers are yeah, elastic. Like yeah. like we don't we it's not enough to say the buildings are a little rubbery or rubberish. Right. We just make we make buildings out of rubber. Yeah. This seems like a no brainer to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it isn't just, you know, we, we don't just worry about ourselves, the normals, as I like yes. to call ourselves. But the superheroes themselves, they can get cut up on, you know, like a classy building like uh, like the Hill Towers. Those, those could be, those could give like a really nasty cut to, mm-hmm. say, a Jessica Jones. A lot of shards. Yeah. yeah I, think, uh, I think the windows should also be made out of um, rubber. Rubber, yeah. Yeah, maybe thin rubber. Uh, I don't know about transparent rubber, but you could uh, make it nice and translucent. Yeah. Have a nice sort of sort of like a like in the, during the day you get that nice sort of like rubbery light. So more of like a saran. Yeah. Wrap the buildings in saran. Yeah. 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 I think I think this is a great idea. Um, but frankly, I'm a little more worried about um, about the villain in Jessica Jones, Kilgrave. Okay. Who can control people's minds. And how does he do that? Um, just by simply being within a certain distance of the person and being able to talk to them. Right. Uh, I think we need to set up like. Uh, ordinances that like limit Kilgrave, like the influence, like all clubs have to be, say, a certain size. Otherwise, everybody in the club has to deal with being like mind. So, do you mean like really big? Yes. Okay. Really so are- big rubber clubs. <laughs> big rubber clubs. You wouldn't want them to be like compartmentalized, like our offices. Like if everywhere was um, cubicles, so that Kilgrave's influence could only go, you know, like say like six feet. Well, that would be nice, but what you have to understand is that Regina loves big rubber clubs. Don't you think? They do. Uh, I, don't, I don't get out much. I didn't know that yeah, about yeah, Well, the stadium apparently is, oh. is uh, I mean, that's the nickname for the stadium. The new stadium right. is like Regina's big rubber club. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's a fantastic nickname. I, I agree. Uh, so we. So obviously the stadium is built, will it be large enough to like keep the whole team from getting Kilgrave? I don't know. Yeah. I think it's great that they didn't go with the roofed uh, stadium. I agree. Yeah, because, you know, if a, not like a Jessica Jones or a um, a Kilgrave, but say a, a Hulk were to land in the stadium, if there were a roof, he would have to go through the roof. But now he can land in the stadium and, you know, 
no one would get well no more people would get injured from falling debris right i think random like rider players might get like crushed right but you know we they, they're tough and they're green you think they're green he, i know they they look like family and it, and if one gets crushed to death we just they, we just like hire more yeah like there's an endless supply of these people also to tie into what we were just talking about with dr sean tucker um I think that we should really like uh, shore up our uh, bylaws around uh, hazardous materials and industry um, because, you know, while it sounds great to, you know, for there to be like a, uh, a, a gamma radiation leak in your city mm-hmm. and to irradiate you and you gain superpowers, you know, you could just as easily turn into a supervillain. Right. That is a good point. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, explodey refineries, while they sound like, you know, a really great start to a superhero story, I think in practice, that's probably not something we want to encourage. Probably not, unless they're conducting, like, secret experiments at the refinery. Yeah. See, I think we'd have to have bylaws about secret experiments as I, well. I think maybe that's why the refinery has, in Sean's words, been digging in a bit, because if we, if they allow transparency, then their secret labs are automatically exposed. It's true. Yeah. Digging. We can't allow digging. No digging. And the truth is, the more infrastructure we we have, the more there is to break. That's true. So I think we should have less infrastructure and maybe make it of rubber or sort of a like a compound, like rubber, like it would be asphalt. Uh, we just rubbery asphalt. Yeah, and it just we just have it like sort of flat on the ground mm-hmm. and covering the bulk of the city. Mm-hmm. And then we turn Regina into Saskatoon's uh, remote parking lot. Oh, that's not bad. I know. Yeah, that and would keep us safe. I think, and I think we maybe uh, we keep us very safe, and we could employ superheroes to like shuttle cars back and forth. So they could be car valets, super car valets, super valets. Right. Yes. Um, well, the other th- uh, the other thing that I was noticing about Jessica Jones is how uh, that and the show Daredevil. Um, there's there's. They tend to operate in places of urban decay. Right, which Regina does not have a lot of. Not yet, no. Not yet. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's a strangely artful urban decay, kind of like an mm-hmm. Edward Hopper painting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the things that you never see is Jessica Jones going out to the suburbs and going to a Chili's, say, and having a, uh, a burger with a lot of mayonnaise on it. Right. And, uh, you know, trying to find her car at a big box store and going to Michael's to get some glitter glue. Um, and these are things that Regina's really good at, is building suburbs and box stores. And, you know, with gateways. Right, and gateways. And I think, uh, clearly, um, Jessica Jones and uh, Daredevil, they, they make the case for urban sprawl, really. I, I would say that would keep the heroes out. Exactly. And, and, the, and concomitantly the villains. The blander and more beige our city, the uh, less likely we are to be assaulted by superheroes in it. I also noticed in uh, in Jessica Jones that uh, that she she drinks cheap whiskey quite copiously. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, and obviously heroes need like a good 24-hour access to liquor. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she'd go off on some kind of like rage-fueled, withdrawal spawn tirade and destroy buildings perhaps uh so if we privatized our liquor stores this would satisfy our like our drink driven heroes it's remarkable how many of the uh, how many sas party things we could justify by uh Superhero preparedness. I, I agree. I think I think that's because the Sask Party knows that, or they they believe that superheroes exist. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> you think? I, I do think. <laughs> and supervillains. So they know something about the Inhumans that we don't know yet. It, precisely, yes. They've, yeah. they've, they've got a lock on, on, on the mythical, magical world of heroes and villains. Right. Do you have any thoughts on aliens? Like, what do we do about alien invasion? Uh, I think the best thing to do with aliens is simply to uh, bow down and accept their rule. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, if they've got the technology to come here, then they sh we should probably just listen to them. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, what's the worst that could happen? No, we, we end up as like like some kind of slurry to feed their like crops or something. Okay, that I, sounds pretty bad. That does sound pretty bad. I mean, yeah, but, but when you, you phrase it that way. <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you start throwing around words like slurry yeah. and like, you know, organ farms and such, it doesn't sound quite as good. Yeah. But uh, I think at least, the least we could do is build a nice landing strip. Sure. Yeah, I mean, hence, uh, once again, again with the uh, the asphalt. Yeah, well, you know, some parts of Quant Street look an awful lot like a landing strip. They do. Yeah. yeah. And and some some of the like the the SUVs uh, look on a ho like a, quite a lot like bizarre alien vehicles. Yeah. So there you go. So who knows? Do you think perhaps uh, the other thing? And I've also been and watching Daredevil. Also, Regina is a truck town, as you know. Yeah, Regina so. is a truck town. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, yeah, well, should we move on? I, I'm curious about uh, about your Daredevil findings. Oh, my Daredevil findings. Well, I just noticed that uh, Daredevil seems to be uh, vexed by, uh, is his name Winston Fisk? W Wilson. Wilson Fisk, thank you, the yes. kingpin. And, um, I, I, you know, I think if we have better openness in our civic governments, I think, and in our, uh, you know, our corporate community, like that would, that would reduce the possibility of a kingpin of Wilson Fisk That's um, true. developing in our city. I, although I did like his approach to development, which was to blow up buildings. Like yeah. In, in saying this is, uh, you know, there's, we're, there's not getting much movement from the city. So he just came in with explosives. Right. Right. Yeah. That really, uh, it would, it would allow for a lot of opportunities for infill. We have these new infill housing guidelines. So mm -hmm. perhaps we need a Wilson Fisk is what you're saying? Yeah, and we can have, like, uh, in place, we can have condos uh, and maybe um, more Chili's outlets. More Chili's outlets, Because yeah. uh, we don't have enough of those. And it looks like Wilson Fisk could do with a few more Chili's. Right? Yeah, I, I think, I think yeah. he could. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, uh, we should probably move on to the next item on the... Um, the Outstanding Improvements Agenda. Uh, and we're on CJTR, 91.3, uh, Regina's community radio station. Are you sure it's not 93.1? Please don't do this to us again. <laughs> we got all those nasty phone calls. That's the, the, the angry email. No. Yeah, no, we didn't. We didn't get any upset emails. No, no. no. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so next up, uh, I thought we should talk about uh, there was a city council meeting this week on Monday night. So that was, what, the 23rd, 26th, something like that? The 23rd. Okay. And at this council meeting, uh, city council passed a daring new initiative to cut by 50% the number of Hill Avenue Cafe patios in the city. Irma Gerd. It's I know. it was. It's a daring and... Uh, you know, forward-thinking move on City Council's part. Hill Avenue Cafe, of course, is on Hill Avenue. So I've heard. Yeah, it's fairly new. And uh, last year, they uh, they opened up and they opened up a patio in the front, and just like a couple of tables on the sidewalk. But then uh, the nearby residents were surprised to discover that they had set up a patio as well in the back. And 
Outrage ensued? Outrage ensued, yeah. Well, it did turn out that they didn't, Hill Avenue Cafe did not have any planning approvals for this patio out the back, which apparently is a thing you need. So, so they just, they just decided to, uh, beg for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. Where have I heard that phrase before? Um, it sounds strangely it's familiar. Strangely familiar. Yeah. So the neighbors came out. Uh, they were quite upset about this patio. Uh, the concerns were the ones that you would expect. There were concerns about noise. There's like a there's a back alley behind the cafe, and then there's like residential street where people's backyards back onto the alleyway. And so they were worried about noise. Uh, the cafe was hoping to make this a um, a licensed patio mm-hmm. that would be open until nine o'clock. So they were also worried about public drunkenness and loud music. Right. And, uh, of course, the other thing that they were worried about is uh, parking. They pointed out that Hill Avenue Cafe only had two parking spots and that, you know, inevitably this will be a problem because one of the delegates uh, dropped this uh, little bit of wisdom. And here it comes. Regina is a truck town and people don't really like to walk. Yeah, so Regina is a truck town. It's a truck town. And people don't really like to walk. No, no, because yeah. why walk when you can get in your truck exactly and, and just drive down the block? Yeah. So I actually think that Regina should be like made of like, or the road should actually be like small trucks you can just sort of step on, and they will just take you to your destination. Oh. Like you just walk out of the house, put your foot into the flatbeds, or feet into the flatbeds, right. and the little trucks just take you where you want to go. That's marvelous. I know. Yeah, because they'd be ob- like truck slippers. Yes. I mean, because obviously the size of the vehicle isn't important. It's yeah. just that it gets you to where you need to go. Right. And then you could have like trucker derby. Yep. Yeah. I love this idea. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm, yeah. The more the more I talk about it, the more I think we need to have like the, all these cute little trucks buzzing around. Yeah. And just people look, looking like they're not moving at all, but they're sort of gliding along on, on trucks. And just think of all the parking problems that you solve by having tiny trucks. I know. You could just tiny stack parking. them up. Tiny parking. Stack them up. Yeah, yeah. Put, put them in a bag. Or just take them home with <laughs> Throw you. Throw them in your backpack. Take one home for the missus. Yeah. You'll have to make. Uh, you'll have to write that one up too. That's a great. Uh, uh, this this will be all in the report. Good. Um, yeah, then what happened? Okay, so we were informed that Regina is a truck town, and uh, then uh, council weighed in on this. They they struck a compromise position, which is that they would allow the patio in the front of the business, but they would not allow the patio in the back of the business. Uh, this made the residents very happy, and apparently. At I think it was planning commission, the uh, owner of the restaurant said, eh, I don't really care. You can take away the back patio. I'll be fine. And then he put the business up for sale on Kijiji. Uh, on? <laughs> really? Maybe it wasn't Kijiji. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody in council, uh, one of the delegations said, yeah, I was checking online, and his cafe is up for sale. I didn't track it down. I wasn't searching Kijiji. The, so, uh, the the internet that we get down here is really bad. It's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Wi-Fi signal is not consistent. Yeah. And I, the ENIAC is very sluggish these days. It really is. And I think uh, I think this was like a former bomb shelter, so it's hard to get through the lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, one interesting thing was uh, Councillor Flagel, uh, when he was, uh, he pointed out that he was actually a fan of the patio in the back. Um, uh, but he did mention that he had some concerns about the patio in the front. And uh, I've got some audio of him explaining why he had trouble with a front patio. I'm not always a big fan of front streetscape um, 
vending of liquor only because it's a public there's kids walking by every day going to the store next door I'm not even sure I enjoy I think that's the right thing to do to sit there the people behind sit on their back decks and have beer and have friends over and family uh, my opinion I don't know if I want three or four people standing and sitting on on the sidewalk when there's 10 children walking by and they're drinking wine and they're smoking cigarettes and I mean that's not a good image either so I'll go along with this one tonight but that's my opinion and I'm a, I'm just one of those guys that I think if you're going to be able to drink that's why these bars have bar, have decks they have inside decks like the pump uh, everything like that I'm just not a big fan of the outside. It's coffee, it's muffins, great. But if you're serving booze in a public outside place, go to Craven. Thanks. So, okay, I'll tell you this much: I am not taking my tiny truck slippers and going to Craven. I'm going down to my local establishment, throw my truck slippers into a bag, and enjoy a beer on the patio. Okay. So. That's, you may shock the boots, off, the, the, the truck boot slippers off of uh, Councillor Flagel. I, I know. Well, I mean, maybe maybe I'll uh, sit down with him one day at the uh, inside deck, yeah. which I do not think is a thing yeah. uh, of the pump. Yeah, I think if I think if it's inside, it's just not a deck anymore. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a floor. <laughs> yeah, I think not, you're probably right. Not to quibble with the councillor. Yeah. Well. Uh, you know, it turned out as these things turn out. The uh, the patio in the back is gone. The patio in the front has been approved. And the um, business is on Kijiji. <laughs> the business is on Kijiji. <laughs> it's the circle of life, Aiden. I I don't. I'm not sure how I prefer the circle of life with Lion King. Although yeah. I think this could make a pretty good musical number. No, I'm we're not, not going to sing it. No, we're not going to sing yeah. that. Go see the Snow Queen if you want. If you want drama. Yeah. At the Globe Theater. Snow Queen. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, the dialogue in the Snow Queen is almost up to George Lucas quality. It's it's that impressive. I saw it last night. I have not seen it. Yeah. Uh, so I cannot say. Sure. Okay, so uh, do you want to... <laughs> Do you want to get into the condo conversion policy? Absolutely. All right. I've got a few more minutes here uh, yeah. before the meeting is done for the evening. Okay. So the condominium conversion policy came to City Council this week. Uh, a few changes were made. Uh, worth pointing out that the so the condominium conversion policy, this is what you use if you own an apartment building and you want to turn your rental apartments into condos. Uh, it's oh. Yeah. So it's not to convert condominiums to uh, Christianity. No, and it's you know technically it would be hard to use it to convert the gallery in City Hall mm. to condos, but it could be done. I think it's an okay. innovative application. Thank you. I'm hoping you can like sneak it through a loophole. I'm sure I, it'll happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, the housing committee, uh, the condos have been under moratorium. You haven't been allowed to have a condominium conversion. Uh, the vacancy rate used to be about 0%. It's now up over 4 I'm told, uh, probably in the 5% range, but it has to be over 3% for a full year, and the neighborhood that the condominium conversion would be considered in would also have to be over 3% for a full year before you can allow a condominium conversion there. So we're just getting to the point now where condominium conversions could start happening again. 
the policy was drafted back in the dark days when condominium conversions were happening, even though we had like a crucially low uh, vacancy rate. And uh, so the uh, policy was drafted. One of the things in it is a tenant guarantee, which says that um, if you're renting an apartment and a uh, your landlord wants to convert it to condos, they have to either offer you um, right of first refusal to the condo unit to buy it, or they have to give you up to two years, 24 months of, um, uh, you know, rental accommodation in there. Housing Committee uh, Commission decided to change this from 24 months down to 12 months. And Because reasons? Because reasons. Uh, Councillor Hawkins argued that 24 months is just crazy too long. It's, it's a total imposition on the developers and the, the landowners, and that in our new housing market, 12 months is sufficient. Now, to be fair, Councillor Hawkins did conduct extensive research amongst all Councillor Hawkins before coming to that decision. He did. Yeah. He did clearly. Um, and as a homeowner, he uh, was able to like weigh in on how easy or slash difficult it is to find housing in the rental market right now. Of course. Yeah. And uh, so that change was made to the housing policy and it was brought before council. Uh, Councillor Sean Fraser uh, objected to the change and he said, hey, wait a second. We've never even tested this policy. We don't know if it works. And we've had extensive public consultation over this. Uh, this this policy was drafted several years ago. Uh, we got the entire community, we got developers involved, and they were the ones who came up with the 24 months and put it in. We shouldn't change it before we've even had a chance to use it. Um, one thing Hawkins doesn't know is that, because he wasn't there when this policy was drafted, this was the previous council, is that uh, the 24 months was actually put forward by the condo or the homeowners, or sorry, the the property owners in the city. So the people who are converting their buildings to condos said, hey, we're, you know, happy to offer two years of rent hey. to these people because it keeps people in their buildings while the conversions are going on. Uh, to convert a building to condos typically takes, you know, two to three years to right. fully do it. Um, so this way they can keep people in the building, they can continue to generate revenue, and they can turn over the uh, right. the, the place. And you need time to install the singularity in the basement. Exactly, the that you power the building off of. Right, that, yeah. that sort of converts like the, oh, like the entire atomic structure into condominiums. Right. Yeah. So that's it. Um, Fraser brought forward a motion saying, let's go back to 24 months. And I was totally prepared with a screed about, you know, this is ridiculous that council voted against Councillor Fraser. And once again, we're going down to 12 months, but they didn't. Council voted in favor of keeping the 24-month guarantee for tenants. They kept this tenant protection in. Um, councillors, uh, well, Fraser obviously voted for his motion. Also, Murray, O'Donnell, Hinks, and Flagel, and who voted against it were Young, Burnett, and Hawkins. Just wanted to get that on the record. Great. And that is the last improvement on our outstanding improvements list okay. today. Well, shall we make a motion to adjourn? I will make that motion. Uh, well, I, I want to stay here forever, but I think we do have to call it, so I motion passed. Uh, I would like to thank everybody involved with the... Uh, Queen City Improvement Bureau, 91.3 FM, CJTR as well. Thanks to Ryan Hill, a.k.a. Guidewire, for supplying our uh, delightful theme music. And thanks, of course, to Sean Tucker, who is officially an improvement vector. Good night, everybody, and keep on improving, Regina. <laughs> <laughs>